This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg The Rebbe is explaining the verse in Isaiah which says that Hashem will wear tzedakah, like an armor, a coat of armor, and a helmet of salvation upon his head that will act righteously, and he will put on a coat of armor to shield the Jewish people, and a helmet of salvation upon his head. And Hashem is interactive, so when does Hashem put on a coat of armor and acts righteously? When we act righteously, and we give tzedakah. So the question is, the Talmud says, what's the comparison that tzedakah evokes and brings out compared to a shield? Tzedakah acts like a shield of armor. What's special about a shield of armor? And a helmet of, of salvation. What's special about a shield? A shield of armor right, has, is made of scales, kashkeshes. It's called in Hebrew... Shirion comes from the word kaskeshes, which is like a fish, a kosher fish, has fins and scales. It's scales. It's made of scales. The reason why an armor is made of scales because that it should breathe. If you cover a person, totally cover them, if it doesn't breathe, the person will die, will choke, will die. The, the, the skin, you need to breathe. You can't put a shield of total, total metal. You have to have scales. So there's holes. But if there's holes, then, what's, then the spear will go right through the holes. So you have, this, you have scales covering the holes. So every point of entry is covered, and at the same time, you can breathe. So the Talmud says that just like many scales make together, put together a whole shield, so too giving a lot of tzedakah, different pennies, different giving a lot of little tzedakah adds up to a big account. So the question is, obviously, if you put a lot of small little things together, you end up with a big account. What's the Talmud telling us, and what's the analogy in the verse in Isaiah comparing to Dukkah, that it, 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 it uh, creates like a shield, a shield that's made out of scales. Why is this an analogy, a perfect, precise analogy to the effect of Tzedakah? So first he explains, what's the effect of Tzedakah? Tzedakah is the ultimate mitzvah, and what's the effect of a mitzvah? The mitzvah acts as a clothing for the soul. Torah is, nourishes the soul. The mitzvah, and the ultimate mitzvah, which is tzedakah, acts as a protection of the soul. Why does the soul need protection? After 120 years, when the soul leaves the body, the soul goes to its eternal rest. It goes to the Garden of Eden. And there the soul basks in the ray of Hashem's infinite light. Which, right, 
which comes from, which is infinite. The soul is finite. It's like a person trying to look at the sun, try to look at the sun directly. It's too intense, too powerful. It'll burn your eyes. You can't. Especially if you're looking with a magnifying glass. It'll blind you. So you, you have to wear a, a screen, sunglasses or something to enable you to look at the sun. So too, for the soul to be able to bask and to look, so to speak, at the sun, at the infinite light, which is only a glimmer of a ray of the infinite light, but even that, to receive from the infinite light, which is Hashem's transcendent light that transcends the whole universe and the whole frame of reference of the universe. How can a soul, a finite soul, receive and be able to enjoy this light? So it needs the clothing to protect it. But it's too intense, too powerful. It could harm the soul, not because there's anything negative about it. It's just too powerful. Too, pow- too much powerful light, and you can't handle it. And then it becomes counterproductive. So the soul needs protection. It needs a clothes that enable it to receive and to absorb and to bask and to enjoy this light. What is the clothes? The clothes are the mitzvah. But the mitzvah is the cause that generates the light in the first place. Because Hashem creates the world, Hashem creates the world with an inner light. That's what the Kabbalists refer to as mamalik alamun. He fits, he fills all the worlds. Just like within the human being, the conscious energy that we're conscious of. The brain, the heart, emotions, intellect. The ability to conceive, the ability to comprehend, the ability to internalize, the ability to feel, to feel emotions. All of this is part of the conscious life. To think, to speak, to act, this is all part of the conscious life. Which is only the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg. The subconscious, 99.9% of what happens within us is completely unselfconscious. We are 100 trillion cells and we are absolutely clueless of the infinite complexity that is happening at this moment, as we speak, simultaneously, trillions of things are happening in this, at this very same moment. It defies, it's beyond, totally beyond our comprehension. Our whole known universe, our whole consciousness is like the sliver, it's like taking a drop out of the ocean and pretending that that's reality. Of course, that drop is part of the ocean. When that drop is part of the ocean, you can't even tell the difference. It's part of the ocean. The whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. But we can't handle the ocean. So what do we do? We have to take a little piece of the ocean. And then we take it further and we make a little light, little, first we put, we gather some water and we put it in a reservoir. And then we take from that reservoir, we take a little pipe and we funnel it through our sink, which has a little tiny faucet. And we put it in a little tiny cup and that's all we can handle. Can you imagine if the ocean came roaring out of our, our sinks? We would drown because we overwhelm us. We couldn't handle it. So we get uh, the, the whole, we get a little tiny drop of the ocean. And that's our whole reality. This whole tumult, this whole universe, our whole reality is this little tiny drop that's nothing, insignificant. And a distortion because the, the drop is part of the ocean. When the drop is part of the ocean, I don't even, I don't even notice the drop. It's not a drop, it's a part of the ocean. We can't handle it. So we isolate the drop from the ocean as if the, as if the drop is an independent reality because we don't see the ocean. That's part of the symptom. Hashem creates this contraction. It's as if the ocean doesn't exist. Of course the ocean exists, but we don't see it. So all we have is the drop, and this becomes our whole reality. 
And this becomes mysticism and religion and science and music and math and higher levels of consciousness and this whole knowing universe, whole tumult, this whole bureaucracy of existence and creation and creativity and action and life. It's a tiny drop of the ocean. As the modern physicist understood, understands, that the whole reality as we know it is, is you know, these are all atoms. Everything is atoms. No one has ever seen an atom. Adam is almost infinite. The world is dynamic. The world is vibrant. All the scientific mind does is give us some probabilities or try to describe something that's really indescribable because it's really infinite. At the core and it's the, at the essence, reality is, is particles and waves at the same time, quantum mechanics. It defies human logic because it's beyond our whole frame of reference. It's beyond our whole comprehension. It's truly a reflection of Hashem. It's infinite. But we don't see it. Since we don't see atoms, we don't sense atoms, we don't sense energy, we don't sense... All we see is... This is reality. This rigid, dead piece of stone or this table and ourselves, our egos, which is also rigid, doesn't change. It's like imagine the ocean becomes invisible and all you see is that drop. But the truth is it is part of the ocean. Just you don't see it. Reality is not what we see. What we see is the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg. Modern physicist understands that. What we see and perceive is whole known universe. It's just the tip of the tip of the iceberg. Reality is this infinite that we, we can't even sense. We don't even see. But that's the true reality. That's what we call Sev of Kalalman, the language of Kabbalah. It's Hashem's transcendent energy, which we can't perceive, we can't understand. We don't. It's there. It's not only there. That's the core. That's the essence. That's what it's really all about. But we don't see it. We don't sense. Just like a subconscious. We don't sense our subconscious. We don't feel it. But that's reality. It's the conscious which is not real. Which is just a... a, a it's like a, a caricature almost. A cartoon of who we really are. And that becomes the whole reality. It becomes flipped. It's the exact opposite. We think what we see is real. And what we don't see, well, it doesn't exist. The exact opposite. What we don't see is real. And what we see is nothing. But we don't sense it. In the world, in our world, we don't sense it. How can we draw down that energy? When you do a mitzvah. When you put on the tefillin, when you wear the talus, when you do any of the 613 mitzvah. When you study Torah, when you light a Shabbat candle, when you eat the matzah and Pesach, any mitzvah that you do, you're drawing down Hashem's transcendent self, this infinite light. And you're drawing it down into the universe. So the reward of the soul after 120 years that it's able to bask, absorb, and enjoy the glimmer of the ray of the infinite light, it's a consequence and a result of the mitzvot of your behavior. It's your mitzvot that create your Garden of Eden. It's your divine mitzvah. By doing a divine mitzvah, you're drawing down the divine will and you're drawing down this infinite light into the universe. And therefore you get to benefit from it. You're enjoying, you're reaping the benefit of your own, what you've sowed and you've planted. You're harvesting what you've sowed and you've planted. You're reaping the benefit of your behavior, what you've created in your lifetime through your behavior, your actions. Every time you do a mitzvah, you're drawing down the infinite light. And after 120 years, you get to enjoy that infinite light. And it's the mitzvah that also acts as the shield that enables you to absorb the light. Otherwise, it would blind you. Because it's the infinite divine essence is totally beyond, beyond us. We wouldn't be able to handle it. We're too finite. We're too limited. 
as sublime as the soul is, it's still finite and limited. How can it handle the infinite light, the divine light, which is completely transcendent? But it's the mitzvah that also gives us that pleasure and that benefit, and it enables us to enjoy that, to enjoy that light. And we left off last week that the Ein Sof, the infinite light, through the mitzvah, the infinite light illuminates and radiates within the world. 36, a third paragraph on page 36. Now, by the fulfillment of the commandments, the above-mentioned encompassing light is elicited and radiates within the tents of Pharaoh, the worlds of Atzilla, Faria, Yetzira, and Asiya, thereby uniting with the indwelling light. When this occurs, the infinite and transcendent light, or Makif, permeates the indwelling light, or Pinimi, of Seder Hishabalish Shalut, the self-obscuring and chain-like descent of the divine life force through which increasingly material worlds come into being. This is referred to as the unification of the Holy One, blessed be He. The epithet, Holy, Kadosh, signifying His separateness from the world, hence the level of Sobek Kol Almin, and His Shekhinah, the dwelling light which is so-called because the Divine Presence descends and dwells within the created worlds as is explained elsewhere. It is explained in another context that the performance of mitzvah results in, in this union of the Holy One, blessed be He, with His Shekhinah. This is why we say, for the sake of the union of the Holy One, blessed be He, with His Shekhinah. Before we perform certain mitzvah, for it is they that fuse the light of Sobek Kol Alim, known as the Holy One, blessed be He, with the light of Mam Elah, Kol Alim, known as the Shekhinah. Thus, the main radiation of divine light drawn down through the performance of commandments is affected within the evolution of the seferit of the four worlds. So why is that key? Why is that important and that the unification of the light, the transcendent light, the infinite light, with the light, the indwelling light, that this infinite light radiates through the ten sefirot, through the world of emanation and through it through the other worlds. And we learned, we discussed the other week, in the beginning of the chapter, that within a person, you know, man is created in the image of God. So just like with, within a, we talk of Hashem, we talk about Hashem's indwelling light and His infinite light, the transcendent light and the light that fills all the worlds, so too within a human being. You have the intellect and the emotions, which is like the conscious part of a person, and then you have the will of a person. The will of a person... Will is not something. Will is, all will is, is you. It's your desire. That's what makes it a will, is because you desire it. That's the only thing, that's the only reality of will behind, what's behind will. It's your desire. It's not like intellect. Intellect is an object for itself. Two plus two is four is a, is a concept. Whether you understand it or not, it's a concept. You can understand it, and when you understand it, you absorb the concept, but it's not really you. You're understanding something, understanding a concept, an independent concept. Will is no independence. What is will? That I want it. You can't separate the will from the I. 
You want it. That's why, that's all that, that's why it's important, because you want it. It's not an independent, it's not separate from you. You can't separate it from you. It's you. Your entire self desires this. And because you desire it, that's why it's desirable. It could be the most desirable thing in the world. If you don't desire it, it's not desirable. And if you desire something, it could be something not desirable. You desire it, it's good. There are people who desire, they love to fast. They love self-deprivation. They're masochists. They love the pain and suffering. No one would call that desirable. But because they desire it, that's their pleasure. The, um, there are people, things that are desirable, goodness, kindness, and they don't desire that. If you don't desire something, it could be the most desirable thing in the world. People don't desire life. Comes a point, some people, they just lose their will to live. They could be pretty healthy and everything. They lose their will to live and then they stop living. It's not because it's desirable, not desirable. Because I want desire it, that's what makes it desirable. If I don't desire it, it's not desirable. So it's all, it's all an expression of you, your whole self, your entire self. It's completely unified with you. So will represents Hashem's transcendent self. That's why the Torah, which represents Hashem's mind, so to speak, that's the food that nourishes us. But the mitzvah, which is Hashem's will, Hashem's desires us and wants us to behave this way, that way, to do this, not to do that, it's the will that connects us with the Hashem's transcendent self. And that's why, like clothes, it's compared to clothes. Just like a person needs food, and he needs clothes. Each one of them has an advantage. Food has an advantage, you internalize it. It nourishes you, it nurtures you. Clothes has an advantage, it lends dignity to the person. Yes, you can't internalize the clothes, it's external to the person. But on the other hand, it also elevates a person. A person who's dressed dignified, it elevates. A person who acts in a dignified way, it elevates the whole person, the whole carriage, the whole person. So the fact that it can give honor, bring honor and dignity and respect to the person means, in a certain sense, it's greater than the person and it can elevate the person. Food doesn't elevate you. It nourishes you, it makes you feel good and, and full and nurtures you, but it doesn't elevate you. Because food you internalize. So it's, it's food is limited to your level. Clothes you can't internalize. Why? Because it's greater than you. That's why clothes can elevate. Because clothes represent Hashem's transcendent self, His willpower, the mitzvah. That's why the mitzvah becomes acts as clothes that we wrap ourselves up in the mitzvah and it shields us, it protects us, it elevates us, it dignifies us because it connects us with the will of Hashem which is Hashem's transcendent self. So will is Hashem's transcendent self, but just like within the human being. Yes, will transcends our consciousness. It's connected to our subconscious, and that's why there's no place for will. Where's will? The intellect has a place. It's called here, the brains. Emotions have a place. It's the heart. To walk has a place. It's your feet. Where's will? In your nose, in your eyes, where's will? Will is all over. There's no place for will. Where's pleasure? Every part of your body. There's no place, because it's not limited. It's transcendent. It's not the conscious self. The conscious self is finite, it's limited. So it has a vessel, it has a vehicle, it's finite. It's only in the brain. Intellect is in the brain. You don't comprehend with your heart, you comprehend with your brain. You don't feel with your brain, you feel with your heart. 
every energy has an organ that perfectly fits. You see with the eye, you don't see with the ears. You don't hear with your eyes, you hear with your ears. But pleasure is behind everything. The motivation to everything that you do is will and pleasure. There's no place for pleasure, there's no place for will, it's all over, it's transcendent, it's all encompassing. It's your soul, it's yourself, your whole entire self. Every cell of your being is an expression of your soul, of yourself. So there's, there's no place. That's why you want to move your, your feet. It doesn't have to go through a whole process. Well, let me process this. The moment you desire to move your feet, you move your feet. Your feet sense exactly what... But nevertheless, if you measure it scientifically, it does take a split second. Why? Because it does have to go through your brain. Because the brain is the command and control center of the whole body. In other words, the brain senses your will. Yes, will transcends your brain and the intellect. It's all-encompassing. It's your soul. It's your transcendent self. It's your subconscious. But who senses your will and instructs every part of the body to follow the will? Who senses it? Who perceives the will? Who senses the will? That's the brain. So the brain, in a sense, is like a window to the soul. The brain is the command and control center of the body. All the nerves come from the brain. It coordinates the whole body because the brain senses the soul. The brain senses the will. The brain senses what you want. You have to be conscious of what you want. So it's the brain that senses that consciousness and it signals to every part of the body. So yes, it doesn't have to go through a process. You don't have to digest it first. First your brain has to understand and then you have to feel. And then you'll move your leg. If that's the case, we'll never, we'll never get up today. <laughs> it takes a long time till we develop an understanding. It takes longer till we develop a feeling. By the time it reaches our action, we're old and collecting Social Security. It, it takes time. Nothing happens quickly. And yet the moment you want to move, you move. It takes a split second. But it does take a split second. Why? Because you do have to be conscious of it. So it goes through your mind... But then in a split second, doesn't have to, the brain doesn't have to process it, but the brain senses it, is aware of it, and communicates that sense to every part of the body, to every organ in the body. That's why he says, that's why it's important to take this transcendent light, and it has to become unified within the indwelling light. Why do you need that unification? Why does the, the, the transcendent light have to go through the ten spherot and the four worlds and the world of emanation? Because that's what senses this revelation. When a Jew does a mitzvah, and you bring down this intense revelation of godliness that doesn't exist with creation. Hashem creates the worlds. The worlds are very finite and very limited. Just like our conscious selves, very limited and very finite. Hashem's transcendent self remains transcendent and beyond and invisible and unknown. But when you do a mitzvah, you reveal God's infinite life. You draw it down. And you draw it down into the world. And the world of emanation senses. Now senses this infinite divine self. And it's after 120 years, that's when the soul gets to enjoy and bask in the light of the mitzvah. Because when we do a mitzvah today, we can't even imagine the effect of that mitzvah. But we don't sense it. We do a mitzvah like... We don't realize that something earth-shattering just happened. 
something that shakes the world to the core, something that has transformed the whole entire universe, that our one single mitzvah, every one of us, a mitzvah that we do tonight, but we don't sense it. Were we to sense it, we will be dancing from joy in the streets. There will be lines out the block. You would have to have hookups because there will be a thousand people here for the Tanya class. But we don't sense it. We do a mitzvah, we put on the talus, we put on the tefillin, we study Torah, we eat the matzah. And we don't. On a holiday, we feel a little more. We're standing in shul and we blow the chauffeur. We do feel a little, a little more. We're sitting at the seder, we're eating the matzah. We, we do sit. The tzaddik senses it. The tzaddik gets a taste of the world to come in this world. That's why the tzaddik does a mitzvah. It's, he's in ecstasy. He's literally dancing from joy. He senses the infinite pleasure, the infinite light. He senses some of it. He gets a, a, a sense of elevation, a sense of the godliness and the holiness and the... And, you know, he senses it. And, and he radiates. You look at the tzaddik's face. He radiates with holiness. You can sense it's palpable. You know, there were stories of uh, a Rebbe in Russia, the Ribnitzer Rebbe. I think when the Nazis came to his town, they were afraid of him. They, they, like, didn't, they like, like, wouldn't touch him. It was like, he radiated with such holiness, they, they were afraid to touch him. He was like, so the tzaddik is someone who's in touch, who's connected. And he gets a taste of it in this world while he's doing the mitzvah. We, however, we have to wait till after 120 years. Or better yet, Mashiach will come. When Mashiach will come. Then all the mitzvah that we've been harvest, all the mitzvah that we've been sowing and planting will get the harvest. And suddenly there'll be this intense revelation of godliness in this world. You walk down Park Avenue and you'll sense godliness. You put on the talus, you put on the tefillin, you'll sense godliness. It'll be palpable, it'll be tangible. There will no longer be any hiding, any screening. Everything will be totally revealed. That's Mashiach. It'll be a total, complete revelation of godliness, of holiness, of genuineness, of the infinite. In this world, we'll see it with our naked eye. We'll see it, we'll feel it, we'll sense it. And that will be a result of our mitzvah. That's what people make a mistake. That's what we learned in Tanya, chapter 37, the first part, 36 and 37. It's not we do mitzvot, and God gives us a reward and He gives us Mashiach. Mashiach is the consequence of our mitzvot. The reward of the mitzvah is the mitzvah. It's the mitzvah that brings the reward. Because when every time we do a mitzvah, we're drawing down the infinite light, we're drawing down godliness and holiness. But right now, we'll study this next week, right now that holiness is like parked in heaven, in the world of emanation. There they sense this holiness. And from there, the soul gets a glimmer of a ray after 120 years, the soul in the Garden of Eden basks in this light that it created through its mitzvot and gets to enjoy it and is able to enjoy it because the mitzvah also acts as a shield, a protection, like a screen that enables it to receive this light without being nullified. But in this world, we, don't, we can't. With the exception of the great tzaddikim, the supreme tzaddikim, one or two in every generation, we just don't sense it. We're like blind, deaf, and dumb. We do a mitzvah. And what's sad is, so many of us do the mitzvah as if it's an obligation. Oh, Nebuch, I have to do this. You don't realize what you're doing. This is a mitzvah. You know what this mitzvah is? 
You know, you're accomplishing with this mitzvah. You're drawing down something that transcends all the angels, all the infinite angels, all the higher levels of consciousness, the world of emanation, the ten svirot. You're drawing down God's infinite self by doing this mitzvah. The shame is we don't get to enjoy. We don't get to appreciate. And that's what happens when you study the Tanya. At least when you study the Tanya, even if we don't experience it, at least we're aware of it. At least we can appreciate what a mitzvah is. Suddenly you can no longer look at mitzvot as burden, as obligations, as duties, as rituals and customs. A mitzvah is an experience. It's alive. It's divine. It's godly. People ask Chabad why we stand in the street to put on tefillin on a Jew. Maybe it's the first time he's putting on tefillin in his life. Maybe the last time. Why you spend so much effort to get a Jewish woman to light a Shabbat candle once in her life? You could only ask that question if he, if he didn't study this chapter in Tanya. Or any part of the Tanya. If you study Tanya, a Jew doing one mitzvah in his life. You know how precious that one mitzvah is? You know how powerful that one mitzvah is? And it's not only the rabbi living in Jerusalem, the pious, religious, ultra-Orthodox Jew. Any Jew in the world who does this single mitzvah. Do you know what effect that mitzvah has? You know how it shakes the world to its core? How it draws down Hashem's infinite self into the world of emanation. An intense revelation of godliness. We don't sense it, but it doesn't change the facts. It doesn't change the reality. And one day we will sense it. It's like store. It's like a treasure. It's like savings. You work hard, and it's savings. You're not benefiting from it. You're just saving, saving. And meanwhile, it accumulates. And one day... You're going to spend that savings. Then you're going to enjoy all the benefit of everything that you've ever accomplished. So too, after 120 years, the soul enjoys the benefit of every single mitzvah that we did in our lifetime. Every one of them. And ultimately, Mashiach will come. We won't have to wait for the afterlife. But in this world, while we're alive and healthy, we'll um, merit to benefit and we'll see the transformation at the mitzvot, the intense revelation of godliness that we'll sense in this world. That will only happen when Mashiach will come. Until Mashiach comes, we don't sense it in this world, we have only in, in the next world. But that, to be continued next week. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.